0: Well, if you'd like to grab your Bibles, this morning's reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. It's Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his sons. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may be present, everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning everyone, it's good to be with you today especially if you're visiting with us. There are a number of new faces here this morning. It's great to have you along. There's one special new face. I think he's already in the baby room, but uh, Theo joining us. He's about a month old now, isn't he? Wow, that's fantastic. Well, we're so glad to have Theo. He's the only one who's got permission to sleep during the message, this saying. Great. It'd be great if you had a Bible open with you, uh, Colossians chapter 1. I also just want to say a huge thanks to everyone who's uh, provided meals for us and served and cared for us the last few weeks. Uh, Really, really appreciate that. And if you are missing uh, plastic containers or esky bags, you might want to have a chat to Melissa after the service. We've got quite a collection growing. We'd love to give them back to you. Right, as we get into God's word, would you join me as we pray together? Our Father in heaven, help us this morning to see the wisdom and beauty of the way you grow us in Christ through your precious word faithfully proclaimed. Please help me to do just that today. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we kick off this morning, I'd like you to imagine for a moment two churches. We'll call the first church Maximum Victory Church. We've got a beautiful, big, modern building. It's very tastefully decorated. And it's filled every Sunday with hundreds of beautiful people who know and love Jesus. Their pastors, for they have many, are always well-groomed and well-dressed, always relaxed. They have no trouble remembering the names of everyone and are always available any time of day at the drop of a hat. Every Saturday morning, at least one of their pastors is noticed down at the beach with his perfect family sipping a latte in the sunshine. It took him a couple of hours this week to prepare a, a biblically faithful, compelling message, leaving the rest of the week free for doing life with people. That's church A. Church B, on the other hand, we'll we'll call them St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. They have a small old building that's slowly falling apart. The congregation is a small, colorful mix of people. Some are living off Centrelink benefits, others have mental health issues, and still others are uh, living in broken families. They arrive at church on Sunday already looking thoroughly worn out. The pastor doesn't look much better when he gets up to the front to start the service. In fact, he's wearing the same shirt he wore last week, and it still hasn't been ironed. It took him most of the week, including Saturday, to prepare his message between dealing with pastoral crises, a car that won't work, and a grumpy neighbor who keeps complaining to the council about uh, the trees from the church property that overhang his fence. The pastor's wife isn't at church today. She's uh, stuck at home with a migraine, and... uh, as he's trying to encourage these faithful people with God's word in the midst of their messy and difficult lives, he's suddenly distracted by his kids trying to have a punch-up in the back row. Now, none of these things in and of themselves, of course, are a sure sign of a church being faithful or not. We can't tell on the outside like this whether they are being true to God's word. But if these were your only two choices of a local church to join, which one would you join? Which one would you rather be at? In fact, which of these leaders would you rather follow? And perhaps the the real question behind all this is, which situation makes following Jesus a more attractive proposition? Our passage this morning gives us a warning about how we might answer that question, and it's this, that if following Jesus is without struggle and suffering... And if those Christian leaders we take our cue from are models of ease and comfort, then be warned. You may have been deluded by a seemingly plausible and persuasive argument, the argument that Christian purpose is found in present comfort. Well, that's what Paul wants to address this morning. And so he starts this whole section by tackling head-on the subject of suffering in gospel ministry. Remember, he is sitting in prison as he writes this. But still, verse 24 is very confusing. Would you have a look with me in your Bibles at verse 24? Paul says there, and Phil read it a moment ago, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Huh. Let's try our best at untangling what he means. It's supposed to be very clear that Paul cannot be saying that there is anything lacking in Christ's suffering and death for our sin. Paul is not saying that the cross was inadequate. Just in this letter, there's too much about how Jesus alone has qualified us, how he alone has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom, how he has reconciled us to God through his blood. It's too much of that for us to believe otherwise. As we read last week, verse 21, and yet, uh, sorry, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There is nothing lacking in Christ's affliction. So what on earth does Paul mean then when he says that there is? Well, to help us understand, there are a few clues in the text that I'd like us to see. The first is a a word that Paul repeats in verse 24 and again in in 2 verse 6, which sort of form, sorry, 2 verse 5, which sort of form brackets around this whole section, and it's the word rejoice. Whatever Paul means, it's something that gives him deep joy. Paul's no masochist. He rejoices in that his suffering has purpose. That brings us then to the next clue that we need to notice, and that's the clue about who the suffering is for, this joyful suffering. It's for the church. It's for those who already belong to Christ. So he can't be picking up where Jesus left off in order to bring them in. They're already in. Paul suffers for the benefit of Christ's body. And that's the third clue, which is how the church is described, is, yes, the body of Christ. And this, friends, is a major implication of the gospel, that those who believe the gospel about Jesus don't just belong to him or identify with him. Rather, in some wonderful and strange way, Christians actually become part of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find this often in the letter to the Colossians. Paul talks about what it means to be in Christ. If you're a Christian here today, you are in Christ. let it sink in for a moment just what that means, that you are in Christ. But later in the letter, Paul makes this startling assertion about Christians. Chapter 3, verse 3. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, we are in Christ. We are so much a part of Christ that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus and he treats us as Jesus deserves. Isn't that wonderful? And so keeping all this in mind, we can begin to see that Paul is not talking about finishing off the work that Jesus only started at the cross. Instead, he recognizes that there is affliction, which, by the way, is is a word that's never used of the cross in the New Testament. Affliction that is still due to Christ as a necessary consequence of the gospel until he returns, which is suffered by Christ, In his body, which is the church. And actually all this is, is the reality of living in the collision of two kingdoms. The collision between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. That's why there is still suffering to be experienced in the world by those who are in Christ. And so it's also experienced by Christ himself. Put this into, uh, into context perhaps. Think of the Second World War. J- Japan surrendered on the 2nd of September 1945. It officially ended the Second World War. But for another two weeks, isolated hostilities continued until all the Japanese forces were finally defeated or surrendered. And this is a very similar situation to what we find ourselves in this side of the cross. Jesus has defeated sin, death, and the devil at the cross. The victory is won, it is sure. But the defeated forces of darkness will continue to fight against the rightful rule of Christ until he comes back. And so because we are in Christ, we suffer. And when we suffer, Christ suffers. And when Christ suffers, we suffer. Where Paul claims to be filling up these sufferings for the sake of the church, though, seems to be in the sense that he's experiencing a greater fill of it for their good, perhaps even to spare them greater suffering in the grand scheme of things. He's taking more of the heat. You think about what Jesus said to Ananias about Paul when he was turned. Acts chapter 9, verse 15, "'Go, for Paul is my chosen instrument.'" to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You see, before, Paul was a, was a persecutor. He, he caused suffering and affliction for those in Christ. Of course, it's the only relationship the kingdom of the world knows with the kingdom of Jesus. But Paul, being delivered from that kingdom and transferred to the bright kingdom of God's beloved Son, he must now unavoidably be on the receiving end of that suffering and affliction. And even as he writes to the Colossians, remember he's in prison, to say nothing of the beatings and the shipwrecks and the other sufferings he experienced as Jesus' appointed servant of the gospel to the nations. I hope that makes this strange verse a little clearer. If not, ask me afterwards. But thankfully, it doesn't take away from Paul's major thrust here which is that a mark of authentic gospel ministry is suffering, toil, and struggle. Have a look with me at verse 29 in your Bibles and into chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says there, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Now, clearly he's talking more about, uh, more than just simply persecution. He's also saying that ministry, gospel ministry, is just really hard work. It's full of toil and struggle against weakness, against the clock, against limited resources, against greater expectations than what is truly possible. Thank God that he does supply the energy. Real authentic gospel ministry will often be marked by hard work, struggle and suffering. Friends, this is God's way. Because there is no glory, no biblical gospel without suffering. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's why the cross is the emblem of those who belong to Jesus. Remember that the invitation of Jesus is not come and be comfortable. The invitation of Jesus is come and die. And in dying to the world and dying to ourselves, we find real life in Jesus forever. It's a gospel of glory through suffering. And that's why Paul rejoices in this suffering. Because the nature of his ministry reflects Jesus' saving work so clearly for the sake of the church and because Because of that, it confines the spotlight to Jesus Christ alone. There's nothing Paul can point to and say, hey, it's because I'm so good at this, that this is working. No, it's because in my weakness, in my struggle, he provides the energy and he does his work. And it makes his suffering infinitely worth it. But well, what is the ministry of the gospel that causes Paul so much joy and so much suffering? It's there in verse 25 to 27. Look with me in your Bibles. Paul says he became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's job, given to him by God as a great responsibility, is to make the word of God fully known. Making God's word fully known is about showing how the Old Testament Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's promised rescuer and king could make his home in the hearts of non-Jewish individuals to the ends of the earth and bring them also into God's eternal family. Friends, this is the message of the whole Bible. If you get this, you've got the Bible. We see the word mystery here. It's used three times in this section, verse 26, 27, and verse 2. But this isn't Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries or your favorite murder mystery show that you like to watch or read. It's the same wondrous mystery that we sang about a little earlier. It's a kind of mystery that is hidden so that it may be revealed at the right time. Paul's ministry then is to open up the Bible in such a way that the dots are joined between God's good creation in Genesis chapter 1, and how the relationship between God and his creation was broken by sin in Genesis chapter 3, even with the barest promise of a rescuer to come, all the way through to Christ in you. In this case, the Colossian non-Jews in a trading city long past its prime, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, and millennia and generations and cultures away from God's promises to Abraham, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Of course, the story doesn't stop there because the Messiah, the Christ, he comes to us as well here in Budrum in 2022 as he did to the Colossians. And so he is in us too and we in him. See, there's a beautiful unbroken line between Genesis chapter one and where we are sitting in this room today. And that's the message of the Bible. How are the dots joined? Has the story traced? Or well, one word, one name? Jesus. Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, 24. And so, yes, Paul is committed to word ministry revealing Jesus in the pages of the Bible. It's a ministry which goes hand in hand with his ministry of prayer that we found earlier in chapter one, because we saw that the ends are the same. And this is a ministry he rejoices to suffer for, to be chained in a jail cell, to make the word of God fully known. The ministry he rejoices to toil for, to pour his time and God-given energy into is to proclaim Jesus warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, verse 28. The ministry that he rejoices to struggle in, to push back against the persuasive and plausible arguments of the world is, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. How? By reaching all the riches of full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. might remember a, a TV ad from a few years ago, I tried to find it, but I couldn't uh, dig it up, where I think it was Erin Brockovich, the famed uh, legal activist, uh, she was standing in a room next to what looked like a pile of junk. And she kind of walked across the, across the front of the, the staging area, and as the camera panned around, eventually it stopped, and the angle was such that the pile of junk suddenly revealed itself to be a beautiful sculpture of a car. It's all about seeing it from the right angle. And when you saw it from the right angle, you saw exactly what it was. This is a lot about what Paul is talking about in his ministry. Helping others to get the right angle on God's word so they can see Jesus crystal clearly in its pages. Because he's the one who makes it all come together. And this is the ministry he is willing to suffer for. Because he knows how great it is. He knows how history-defining this is. It's the best news in the world. But we must be careful to follow Paul's train of thought all the way through to the station here because if we jump off here, we might make the mistake of thinking that word ministry is an end in itself, that we might be left believing that if we just subject ourselves to enough sermons, enough Bible studies, enough podcasts and daily devotionals and Christian books and conferences and encourage and support the same, just so we can get better at seeing Jesus in all of Scripture, then we can believe we've arrived. We can believe that it's all about becoming like the expert magician who can always pull the Christological rabbit out of the exegetical hat. It's not that at all. Because the word of Christ proclaimed is never meant to simply fill our heads. It's got to have an effect on our hearts as well. Knowledge of Christ must lead to maturity, in Christ. And that'll be our third point for this morning. I like things that have matured. Old wines and whiskeys, aged steak, mature cheese. Melissa doesn't always share my enthusiasm for the effects of time, yeast, and bacteria on God's good gifts. But uh, that's what maturity is. It's the effects of time and something from outside working on something often to improve a fairly plain foodstuff, uh, into something richer and lovelier, and usually to preserve it better against decay. This is what the ministry of God's word must do among us, his saints. Look with me at verse 28. Him we proclaim, we proclaim Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Word ministry, whether sermons or Bible studies, daily devotionals, Christian books and conferences, must exist for the purpose of maturing Christians in Christ. What is Christian maturity? How would you describe a mature Christian? Well, it's defined in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, which I think are the, really the central verses of the whole letter. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And notice again there the priority of teaching, word ministry. But it's walking in Christ more and more, rooted in Christ more and more, being built up in him more and more, being established in the faith more and more, and abounding in thanksgiving more and more. But uh, that verse is for next week, so I'll leave it at that. Instead, in verse 2 and 3, which kind of precedes the therefore of verse 6, Paul gives us a three-part picture of what Christian maturity will look like to those who are looking on. Firstly, they'll see encouraged hearts. So even though Paul may be in prison, even though word ministry is hard and slow, often unimpressive, They can be encouraged that the Jesus of Scripture is still God's promised King and Savior who has made his home in the hearts of Christians everywhere. And so, yes, it's worth sticking with Jesus, and you can have the courage to do that. So encouraged hearts. Secondly, being knit together in love. I think it's a beautiful image of being knit together in love. Like a a wound where the flesh is knit together again. As Christ's love for us becomes more and more clear to us, and as we learn to recognize it more and more, it will result in love for one another. What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And remember, the Colossians have a reputation for love in chapter 1 verse 14, sorry, 1 verse 4. So encouraged hearts being knit together in love final mark of Christian maturity is knowing the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in the gospel. When we know the gospel, when we know that the whole Bible is about Jesus, when we realize the beauty and the value of that, it unlocks the wisdom of the Bible for us in a way we could never imagine before. Because we treasure it. As it speaks to us of how to walk in the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day and in each and every situation. Friends, Christian maturity is not measured in years, it's measured in courage, in love, and in wisdom. And you know that last point is important because there is a danger facing the Colossians. It's there in verse four, it's the danger of being deluded with plausible or persuasive arguments. Now, I don't think the threat facing the Colossian church was some big hairy heresy with kind of tattoos and piercings that you could kind of see coming a mile away. They had recently been delivered from the lies of the religions around them, so surely they had no problem in recognizing the problems. I think the threat they were facing is actually identical to a threat we face today and has faced Christians for centuries. It's it's just the suggestion, faintly echoing the world around us, that there might be something better than Jesus. Might be something better than the way God is doing things. So the persuasive arguments uh, that the Colossians might have been hearing might have gone something like this. Poor Paul, you know, he always was a bit full on, and look where it's ended him up. He's in jail. There must be something wrong with his approach. This approach of being so serious about the Bible and teaching and stuff. I'm sure we could do things better. But the mature believer who has the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, well, they hear that and they stand firm in Christ. They are not fools. They know that Jesus is everything. They know that simply through the faithfully taught word about Jesus, they know that God uses his word to change lives. And because the gospel, the word of truth, is a road to glory through suffering, they're not in the least bit surprised when the gospel is accompanied by suffering and struggle and toil. When it's faithfully proclaimed, and people are thrown in prison as a result. Or when God's powerful word about Christ is proclaimed, and the going is tough, and the work is slow. In fact, they rejoice too, because it's a dead giveaway that Jesus is in that ministry. Uh, we had a, a quarterly presbytery meeting yesterday, just in the hall behind me. We had about 12 pastors and elders from uh, from Queensland, from the ACT, from, uh, from Western Australia as well, joining us on Zoom. And we heard stories of a church without a pastor and with a very uncertain future. We heard stories of a, ch- a church where many are afraid to come to church on a Sunday because of fear about uh, getting sick. And so numbers are dwindling. One Sunday had just 15 people. One church is still recovering from the death of their pastor last year to cancer. Their current pastor is currently sick with COVID and he's stuck at home. Another church has a pastor whose cancer is thankfully in remission for now. And of course, we have our own struggles here at Grace as well. At one level, if you were there yesterday, you would have seen a pitiful advert for gospel ministry. And for being the body of Christ on earth. But, you know, we also heard stories of continued faithful word ministry, of people coming to faith, of people being baptized as Christians, making that public stand for Jesus, of people attending Christianity Explained courses and asking great questions, of people finding new ways to love and to serve one another, of connections for the gospel in local communities that we couldn't have imagined of churches cooperating together for the sake of the gospel, of people growing in dependence on Christ for their future, and a greater peace in his plan, no matter with with all the uncertainties and variables at stake. Ordinary men doing an ordinary ministry in ordinary places amongst ordinary people. And yet God is there at work. Yes, it might not look like the most effective or the most efficient or the most attractive ministry, but this is where God is at work in the faithful, unspectacular, hard, slow, humanly weak ministry of proclaiming Christ. And it's worth rejoicing about, friends. So as we close, what is the Lord telling us today in his word? Well, basically, don't be deluded by... Even plausible and persuasive arguments. Number one, don't dismiss suffering and difficulty around the ministry of the gospel as a mistake or an abnormality. Remember, Jesus was crucified. Should we expect anything better? Number two, don't underestimate the effectiveness of word ministry, of preaching and teaching the Bible. in in promoting real Christian growth, of making Christians more and more firm in Christ. Remember, God's word made the universe out of nothing. He can make a Christian out of you. Number three, don't give up on the long, slow path to becoming more and more mature in Christ. Though we might not have more to know about Jesus, There is always so much more to learn about Father. How about we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us the word of the truth, the gospel, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Thank you that we have heard and understood the grace of God in truth. And we thank you, too, for the faithful ministers who taught us. knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus and fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and knowing you more and more, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, and always being full of thanks. Amen.